Man, I love worshiping with you guys on a cold morning. Even if it's cold in here, it is warm in our hearts, and uh, our worship is in, I mean, just incredible this morning. And so uh, if I'm a little fired up and a little bit juiced this morning, uh, it's not because I had two cups of coffee. It's because I've been in this sermon series for like three months, four months. And so I am truly excited to share with you uh, what we've been putting together behind the scenes uh, so that you can kind of worship with us. But let me give you a full disclosure, okay? Are, are you ready? Because I, I want you to understand, if you'll listen over the next four weeks, and truly allow God to change your heart, everything will change around you. Listen to me. This whole goal of this sermon series is to see people come to know Christ. And so I know what it's done for each and every one of you because I just heard you singing about it. Imagine what it can do for the community that's around us if we will listen and put to action what we're going to preach on over these next four weeks. And so, listen, I, I want you to understand, there's going to be an unsettling in your heart. There's going to be an unsettling in your soul. Accept it, embrace it, and allow the Lord to work. So let me start with prayer. I know that Chad just did a great job praying, but I want to pray that your hearts that whatever it is that's holding you back, whatever it is that is kicking you from accepting the call that God's placing on your life, whatever it is that's holding you back, that you stop making excuses, that you stop pushing back from what God wants to do, and you fully submit to Him. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, I come to you just humbled to be able to preach this message. Father, I pray for each and every one that's in this room right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move over their hearts. Father, that you would begin to burden them for the mission that you've called us to do. Lord, whatever adjustments in their life that need to be made, if their priorities are out of whack or if their goals and their intentions are not lined up with what you want from us, Lord, that you would shatter them so that we would be on the mission that you've called us to be. Father, be with this message. Be with me. Give me the words to say that would encourage your people. Lord, thank you for the passage of Scripture that we're getting ready to share. May it have the same effect on the people that are in this room that it did in these Scriptures. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Um, one of the things that I think of sometimes is that we all have preconceived notions. Every one of us have something that we look at and say, man, something is not right with this, or maybe this should be this way, or whatever it is. And so let me give you just a, a working definition of preconceived notions. And so here it is, an idea or judgment about something formed before encountering any evidence of firsthand information. If you've ever seen this kind of unfold, if you put broccoli in front of your child for the first time, they look at it and immediately go, ew. They have a preconceived notion about how it looks and how it may taste so that they begin to push back from it. Another, and let me give you a couple of examples of this. Uh, we have preconceived notions about CrossFit fanatics. 
Listen, some of these folks, if you walk into that room and you see them doing CrossFit, you go, I think I'm in the wrong spot. You'll see ropes going back and forth and you'll see just sweat pouring in different locations and all these places around you. And you look at them and you go, I don't know. Man, they're intense. Why are they so intense? Why are they doing this? But really, they're probably just good people working out really hard, right? Another preconceived notion that we have in our society is millennials. For some reason, everybody has this preconceived notion about millennials, about how they act, about how they conduct themselves. And even if you talk to most millennials, they talk about their other millennials in a poor context. Now, listen, this one may hit a little close to home. But NASCAR, if you see a group of NASCAR fans at a restaurant, you don't really want to join them. They're a rowdy group. They get a little wild. They get a little crazy. And listen, if you're like me and you're not really a NASCAR fan and you walk into their circle as they're talking about their favorite driver and all the conditioning and all the things that they've done, and I look at them and say, I was a NASCAR driver twice this morning. I went through two roundabouts on my way here. They look at you like, you don't know what it takes to be a... Girl, I drove a Camry all the way through. No breakdowns, no flat tires, no pit crew, just me and the Camry. All four cylinders. We have preconceived notions. A little bit closer to home, some people have a preconceived notion of a Christian. That every Christian that they know is carrying a cross and casting out demons and taking their Bible and hitting them over the head as possible, as hard as they possibly can until finally, bless God, they submit. Listen, people think so poorly about Christians so much. Listen, I know you guys. You're good people. Sometimes the preconceived notion. Next is the pastor. Now listen, a fun fact about Jeff Hubbard. I've only worn a robe one time for my master's ceremony. But I have a lot of friends that wear robes and wear collars and different things like that. And I was having a conversation with a priest friend of mine and he goes, Jeff, I don't understand why you don't wear a collar. I go, well, I don't really like things around my neck. And he goes, there's power in the collar. Can you elaborate? And he says, listen, people fear it and respect it. And I was like, I'm good. (laughs) I'm, I'm good. But we have preconceived notions about pastors. Listen, sometimes we think pastors are no fun. They're fun killers. They're serious. All they do is talk about scripture all of the time. Listen, I promise you, we're great people. Okay, three of you are And then the term disciple. Sometimes when we think about disciples, we think about them as kind of the the crazy group of 12 that that were more committed than everybody else. The reality is this, and I want to give kind of an unfolding of history's uh, terms here. You realize the term Christian is only mentioned three times in Scripture. The reality is that the early Christians were actually called a part of the way. And so it was one of those terms that they go, oh, there they go. There's the way. Now, it didn't stick. 
for obvious reasons. But now we begin to look and we say, oh, well, there's Christians. And so I, I want to read to you a quote that J.D. Creer calls and then give kind of this misconception. And the first followers of Jesus didn't call themselves Christians. It was actually considered a derogatory term used by people outside of the faith. In Acts eleven twenty six, we see that the first Christians were known as disciples. The word Christian is only used three times in the whole Bible, but the word disciple is used 281 times. Disciple is a far more accurate and compelling description of what it means to follow Jesus. As we will see, the concept of a disciple exposes the fact that many who claim to be Christians are not actually disciples of Christ. So this morning, I challenge you a little bit further because we feel like we can be a Christian without really following Christ. We can name the name of Christ without truly being on mission for Him. I think this world that's changed around us and this change of terms and this change of conversation, and I want us to understand that we are called to be disciples of Christ. Can I ask you to do something just so that I know you have a pulse and you're awake and those things? Can you look at the person next to you and say, by the end of this sermon, you'll be a disciple? Now, how many of you are charged up and ready to go? Now, listen, this is who we are in Christ. Listen, when we understand this message, and so listen, for a long time, so many people have just said, as long as I can just name the name of Christ, I'll be okay. I want you to understand, our responsibility is to become disciples of Christ. This is a furtherance, a further understanding. And so to understand this call, we go to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18 through 22. And I love this passage of scripture because it reveals so much about the people that were called to be disciples. And so in verse 18, he says, and to give kind of context to this, Jesus was known in this community. He was known to be a good teacher. He was known to be a man of character. And so it wasn't as if Jesus just walked up to these individual disciples and they met him for the first time. They knew who he was, whether by reputation or whether by actual conversations with him. So keep that in mind as we go into this passage of Scripture. He says in verse 18, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now capture this because Jesus was walking by, seeing these men actually do their job and actually working and, and catching fish. To understand this, this was their livelihood. This is what their families depended upon. This is what they were good at. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Can you imagine this conversation going up to people that are really good at their profession and had probably been passed down both from generation to generation and looking at this and saying, sweet, 
This is my career path. This is my life. This is what I'm going to do. I will be a continued fisherman. I will pass this down to my kids. I will pass this down generation to generation. This is a respectable livelihood. Listen to their response in verse 20. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. To give kind of a further understanding of the impact of this power, this passage of scripture. I want you to think the job that you do, the place that you go as a career path. And imagine that somebody walks in and says, listen, I'm ready for you to genuinely follow me. What would your response be? Hey, Jesus, listen, I... I know you're a good man. I've heard a lot about you. I really want to follow you, but I'm only halfway through with my 401k. As soon as that's to the desired number, I'll stop and I'll follow you. Hey, Jesus, listen, my kids break every bone in their body continually and I need insurance. Do you have a good insurance plan? Hey, Jesus, what are we going to do? Jesus goes, follow me. Yeah, but where are we going? Jesus, what, what are we going to do when we get there? How long is it going to take for us to walk there? What are we going to wear? What are we going? Jesus, I'm a big boy. I need to eat. What are we going to eat? Jesus, how, how? None of them asked those questions. And I think the reason why we struggle following Christ so much is we want to dictate the terms in how we follow God. He doesn't tell us that the disciples said, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you if you make sure that my 401k is completely full by the time that we stop. Imagine this question, Jesus, how long do you want me to follow you? A week? Sweet. I've got two weeks of PTO that I can burn. I'll follow you just as much as you want me to follow you. I'll do these things. Not one of those questions is recorded by these disciples. Jesus says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets. Verse 21, he says, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother in the boat, with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, fixing their nets, and he called them, and immediately, catch that, immediately, imagine that Jesus called his disciples, and the first ones asked so many questions that he didn't even care about the second group. Immediately, John and James followed Imagine them looking at the other disciples and saying, hey, where are we going? I don't know. We're just following Jesus. Hey, what are we going to do? We're going to get there. I don't know. I asked all these questions about 10 minutes ago. I don't know the answer to these questions. All I know is that we are just going to be his disciples and we're going to follow him. Love this part. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now listen. I don't know about you, but if you've ever left your dad to do the job that you're supposed to do, it ain't good. Imagine that in this moment, 
They gave up their career, their livelihood, and the closest relationship that they had to follow Christ. So I ask you this morning, because I know that Jesus is calling each and every one of us in this same pattern. Will you please stop making excuses on how you can't follow him? Let me give you a little bit of background here. Because I want you to understand the people that Jesus called. To understand these were Hebrew boys. And they went to Torah school. Every Hebrew boy went to Torah school for at, at about the age of five. By age 10, all young boys knew the Torah. Now, to understand Torah, this is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would take the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, and they would make sure that every child, every male child, understood how important these passages of Scripture were. He said, by the age of 10, all the young boys that knew the Torah and the best students went on to study the remainder of the Old Testament. The rest returned home to work in their families' businesses. I want you to understand, these fishermen were not the people that were the most advanced in their study of Scripture. They were actually back home working with their families in the family business. At about age 17, if a boy wanted to go on and make a career out of religious studies... His next step was to find a rabbi that he admired or a religious teacher and apply to become one of his disciples. When he found that one, he would go as a a symbol of, I want to learn from you. And he would sit at his feet. And that was his request to learn from that rabbi or from that teacher. The rabbi would examine him with questions and put him through a series of tests just to see if he's even worthy to be a disciple. He'd say, hey, what do you think on this? How do you conduct yourself here? Do you fulfill the Levitical priesthood? Are you doing all of these things? And he would evaluate the person's life so stringently just to make sure that he didn't make a mistake. The rabbis could choose the smartest, most talented boys to be their disciples. Another reason that the rabbis were so picky on who they chose is they wanted their rabbis to become just like them, to talk with the same tone, to say the same things, to be a spitting image of who they were. For several years, these young disciples would follow their rabbis, imitating them in every way. The goal of a disciple was to be like the rabbi. That was his whole goal, his whole desire. So I want you to understand the carryover to this is Jesus did not choose the best. He chose the willing. John MacArthur talks on this where he says God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. And he passed over Herodotus, the historian, and Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. Listen to what he chose. He chose men so ordinary 
it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. Now, I want you to understand, I know that in this room there's some very talented and gifted individuals. And listen, some of you are the best in your field. The reality is, God chose us because we were willing. So the difference doesn't go to God and say, God, I've got this talent. Use me for your glory. I've got this and I've got this. We don't go in that fashion. He calls us. If you've ever coached a team or maybe you've had a kid on one of these teams, I've coached basketball and soccer and all kinds of different sports. Listen, I like to win. So we try to field the best group of athletes, the best team, and we put them out there in hopes that they would just perform well and dominate whoever they go against. Jesus' approach was way different. If you've ever coached a team, you've always got those kids that you're scared to put in. Because you know that they're going to chase butterflies and they're going to let the other team have the ball and they're going to be like, good job, you scored on us ten times. Jesus said, hey, you can have your all-stars. I'll take these kids. And every coach is like, yes. And Jesus is like, watch what I do. That's an amen right there. (laughs) But here's the fact. God wants to use you. Stop making excuses that you're not able. He doesn't need your ability. He only requires your availability. So I ask you, Have you made yourself available to God? I love the understanding that he chose us. And that term, follow me. And that understanding of leading to the disciples, hey, follow me. Listen, it's interesting that the disciples weren't wandering from boat to boat saying, hey, we need somebody to follow. Do you know of anybody really good? Jesus goes to us and he says, I'll give you this, follow me. Love what John chapter 15 verse 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go. And listen to what he says, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Listen, this is where the the dichotomy of terms begins to go forward because now we are no longer Christians, but we are actually disciples. Disciples were given so that they would actually produce fruit. Listen to this. Jesus is laying out the framework that we need to be producing fruit. So I ask you this morning, have you produced fruit as a Christian? Have you started with your family by leading spiritually? 
Have you led someone to Christ? Have you told others about Christ? If not, why? The question has to resonate with us. It has to stir our souls has to go before us and say if I haven't done this then why haven't I this is the misconception of being a Christian listen the reality is that we are to be disciples of Christ love the understanding that the disciples had to be with him the disciples he did not give them this three year plan or this fixed goal before them they just knew that they were supposed to be with Jesus do what he asked them to do and go wherever he wanted them to go listen I got to be honest with you this doesn't work a lot of times for Jeff Hubbard Jeff Hubbard wants the four year plan and the seven year plan and the ten year fixed goals and all these things that come with it and listen Jesus is just telling us be with me spend time with me Love the term, he gave them to leave it all behind. It's amazing that their response was in both cases, immediately they left. Listen, I'd venture to say that there's the majority of the people in here that if God called them to do something, you would begin to dissect it so much that it would keep you from doing it. This was a significant life change for them. They were no longer fishers of fish. They actually caught people. They gave up their most significant relationship just to do what God had called them to do. Can you imagine the first time Jesus begins to share the gospel and all of the fishermen start grabbing their nets and they go, we caught him, Jesus. Now what? And Jesus goes, They're people. You have to spend time with them. Show them the love of Christ and allow them to see who I am. He commands us to spiritually reproduce. I love the term, follow me and I will make you fish, fishers of men, that I will make you fish for people. One of the greatest lies that's told in the church today. Church for a while has told people that it's all about them and their wants and their desires. Can I tell you, this is absolutely not in Scripture. The church is all about God and He has given us a responsibility to reproduce. Don't believe what I'm saying. Listen to his words. In John chapter 15, verse 8, he says, By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and through 19 and 20, that's labeled as the Great Commission. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. 
Jesus clearly gives them an understanding because this question continually comes to Jesus and say, why aren't you going to the rabbis? Why aren't you going to the teachers? Why aren't you going to the religious? And Jesus says this, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. The goal hasn't changed. Robert Coleman's quote on this says this, when will the church Learn this lesson. Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism. Nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers do this job. Listen to what he says. Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for disciple is not something but someone Each and every one of us have this responsibility. So I ask you to evaluate this morning. Are you a disciple? Are you genuinely seeking to save the lost? Are you genuinely seeking to spiritually grow those that are around you? Because I promise you the thing that would change this community the most is if you would become a genuine disciple of Christ. Let me illustrate this. For most, each time you walk into work, there's that one person, that one person that just makes life miserable, that you try to avoid all day long. But I ask you this, if that one person accepted Christ and began to live for Christ, would that change your workplace? If there's one family member that you avoid like the plague, if they text you or call you, you act like they don't even exist because you pray that they don't just randomly stop by your house. If that person accepted Christ, would that change your family? So I tell you, that changes a whole community. It's time for us to stop avoiding the lost and embrace them and tell them about Christ. We say, Jeff, you don't understand. This person is nasty. They're horrible. Listen, I can give you a lot of people that I know personally and in Scripture that when God changed their heart, it completely revolutionized who they were. Some of you are sitting here. I ask you, What are you waiting for? The starting point is for you to place your faith and trust in Christ. If you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, you've never accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, listen, that's the starting point. But if you're here and you're a Christian who does not disciple, I warn you, This is a dangerous misconception. Everything in God's word points towards knowing that we are a follower of Christ by producing fruit. Listen, I want to be very clear on this because I I don't want the semantics of terms to be misunderstood here. I'm not basing this as a works-based salvation message. I'm telling you this, I'm not proposing this works-based salvation. I'm not even keying in on the results. 
I'm telling you that our responsibility is to plant seed and water seeds, the increases of the Lord. If you plant enough seeds, something will take root. The reality is most people, most Christians, aren't even going to the grain store to get the seeds. Don't be a Christian who doesn't disciple. So let me give you the action plan. If you saw this last week, a guy named DJ Metters uh, built this. It's a beautiful box. But I want you to understand this concept of who's your one. The goal of this is that in a couple of weeks, we'll actually take markers and we'll actually write one name on these white ping pong balls. Okay? Something simple, just an illustration. And the goal is that that one name that you write on here, that you would share Christ with, that you would see that person come to know Christ over the next year. You say, Jeff, I thought you just said it was God who did the increase. I did. We have a job to do also. It is our responsibility to go to the lost, to tell them about Jesus. Listen, you may lead somebody to Christ that's not a name on here. Listen, I don't really care about the name that's on here. I care about you taking a genuine approach to share your faith in Christ with somebody else. So that's stage one. How does this happen? How do we do this? How do we move things forward? The reality is that you'll see a lot of those white balls begin to go in here and begin to kind of take shape. But this next stage, this green ping pong ball, if you will, is gospel conversations. You know what has to happen for you to lead that person to Christ is conversations about who Christ is. These are gospel conversations. And listen, I contend with you that these will probably be the predominant ball that's in there. So every time when you have a gospel conversation and you say, I had a gospel conversation with this individual, you'll write this on the ping pong ball and you'll place this in the box. Why? Because so many times as Christians, we feel like we are the only one doing the mission. And I hope that over this next couple of months, this next year, that you'll see how God continues to work. And you'll see gospel conversation after gospel conversation eventually produce salvation. The pink ball, maybe because I'm a girl dad or whatever this is, is when somebody accepts Christ, we get to write their name down on this ping pong ball and put it in there. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see some people come to know Christ. Look, this is what changes a community. This is what changes an area. This is what changes a family. This is what changes a workplace. But listen, for the church, it's starving to see people come to know Christ. The church's growth plan is to take as many people from another church as we possibly can. Listen, for a long time, the church has stopped going to the darkest places 
and sharing the gospel with them. And I challenge you that you would take that step of faith and that we would see some people genuinely come to know Christ. And in the last stage of this, is baptism. Listen, I don't know about you, but it is a bold step when you tell an individual, listen, I know that you've accepted Christ, but the church needs to celebrate you with you. The first act of obedience is going through baptism, letting people know that you are a follower of Christ, that they can now hold you accountable. And so we celebrate that together. When people get baptized over the next year, you'll see these blue ping pong balls fill this place up. So I challenge you with this. The reality is that this board can be completely empty for the next year and a church can do absolutely nothing. Or we can take root to the plan that God has put on our hearts and begin to fulfill the mission that God's called us to do. Listen, I warned you at the very beginning of this sermon, there's going to be an unsettling. Immediately, as I say those words, the first thing that comes to your mind is an excuse of why you can't do this. I tell you, do I need to preach my sermon again? Imagine the disciples going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've been to Torah school. I don't need any more of this gospel stuff. Jesus said, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, they walked away from whatever was important. So over these next couple of weeks, you're going to see a church that really gets behind what this is. Because i got to be honest with you. We're a church of about 300, 350 right now. The reality is, I'm not concerned about growing a, a, a large church. But I am concerned about the lost. And I am genuinely concerned that there are people that have a misconception of who Christians are because they never tell the world about Jesus. Can't imagine the conversation in non-believers. Man, they go to church on Sundays. They go on Wednesdays. Their kids are good kids. They're raising them. But when are they going to tell me about this Jesus that they know? This campaign actually was last year's campaign for the Southern Baptist Convention. J.D. Greer launched this proposal and launched this effort. There's actually a website called Who's Your One? It's got a lot of great resources, a lot of great things that are on there. I want to read with you their first two paragraphs on their page. Because this is the part that kind of laid the framework for the vision that God's given us over the past couple of months. 
Imagine if every member of our church could answer that question, who's your one? The name of a person. A person whom they're praying and with whom they're sharing the gospel continually. How would it change our church? How would it change the world? God's people don't nearly don't merely need another method for evangelism. What they need is a white hot passion to see people who are far from God experience the new life that he offers through Jesus Christ. So I beg you this morning, who will your one be? Who will you begin to share the message of Christ with? Who will you begin to be relentless to, to make sure that they know Christ? Because it's time to stop being just Christians and start taking on the mission of disciples. If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. The worship team is going to come forward, and I'll be honest with you. The song that they're going to sing, will hopefully rock you to the core. Not because of the beautiful voices or because of the instruments, because of the words to this song. Challenge you this morning. Whatever excuse that you're beginning to push back when your pastor asked you and said, will you accept the same call that the disciples accepted? No, not me. I'm not great at this. I'm not a people person. I'm not this. I'm not this. Listen, all of us could name excuses, but I promise you, Jesus can overcome any reason that you come up with. Can I challenge you? Stop making excuses and begin to follow Christ. Is your heart's unsettled? Who will your one be? Maybe the Lord's putting it upon your heart right now. Maybe as you pray over this next week, the Lord begins to reveal to you. You need to share me with that person. Would you cut through the excuses? And say, I will. God, I don't know how to do this, but I'm just going to start here. Father, I come to you, Lord, humbled by your word. Lord, it feels like the church has taken a back seat to what your mission is for a really long time. Lord, we've begun 
fans of sports teams and dedicated to jobs and dedicated to careers and retirement goals and all those are great things. But all of those pale in comparison to living for you and reaching the lost. Father, may we realign our hearts. May we change our priorities. Truly get serious about reaching the lost. Father, from somebody that gets to sit in the room and see people come to know Christ, Lord, the way that you change their hearts and the way that you draw them to yourself, the way that you work is like nothing else I've ever seen. Father, may that be the desire of your church, the desire of your people, that they would see the people around them come to know Christ. But the world has told us that we are intolerant if we share you. But Father, may we be bold as we love people so much that they would see Christ in us. person in this church begins to pray God I pray that you would put a name on their heart Lord that your Holy Spirit would lead them to unrest until they've shared you with them Father over this next year may we see you work may we see you move may we see you and I praise you this morning. In Christ's precious and only name we pray. Amen. If everybody would stand as the worship team sings this song, I want you to understand this altar is open to you at this time. The Lord's been working on you, been stirring in your hearts. You're truly ready to submit to him and go the direction that God's called you to go. This is a great starting point. come up here, I pray that in your seat that as the Lord unrests your soul and you sing these words out to him, that